Hello, everyone. This is Ricky, and welcome back to another episode of Gray Matters. Um, for this episode, we're going to specifically talk about cultural appropriation and what that means. Hi, everyone. This is Charmaine. Yes, we're going to talk about cultural appropriation and what it means. And also, we wanted to look at the angle of cultural appropriation versus appreciation, because both Ricky and I strongly feel that um, it's important to address what cultural appropriation is, but also that one can engage in behaviors that appreciate a culture um, without appropriating them. Um, and it's, you know, kind of relates back to what we often talk about. It's like discussing the importance and acknowledging a concern. And so in like discussing the importance of addressing culture appropriation is important because communities of color are often punished for the very behaviors. And those behaviors could be, you know, from like food, attire, beauty practices, et cetera. Um, and also I'm going to say behaviors and cultural practices and beliefs mm -hmm. um, that are often only made acceptable and trendy after they're co-opted and commodified by dominant Eurocentric culture. Um, and so that is when appropriation comes in because it's like, you know, communities of color have been practicing something for millennia and then often like a very consumerist, uh, modern, mm -hmm. neoliberal kind of angle, capitalist angle will take on a practice or um, – a certain aspect of, of a culture and then all of a sudden it, it becomes acceptable yeah. and that's really problematic and of course that's not to say that this is a, a new thing we know that christopher columbus sailed the world looking for spices <laughs> yeah. so obviously this is not um this is not a new it's practice not a by new means. conversation yeah, yeah yeah and i definitely yeah i feel like it's not new but it's still needed in our society it's very a, much yeah. yeah it's a very needed conversation and then um, but like we said, it's it's a it's important to to understand that you can, especially in a very globalized and increasingly globalized and commercialized world, you can appreciate these different, um, almost like different cultural practices and different beliefs, and often these very commodified cultural practices and beliefs that kind of have become ingrained in our society. I'm thinking specifically of like yoga, for example. There is a way to appreciate those things without appropriating them. Um, I actually will be referencing a little bit um, a piece that I wrote that's available on our website. It's graymattersablog.com. It's under the theory exploration page and it's called Cultural Appropriation um, by Charmaine. So I've written this piece and I basically kind of delve into cultural appropriation, what it is and why it triggers such a strong response and how um, I've actually given some examples on there of how one can kind of be respectful and engage in cultural appreciation versus appropriation, but it's kind of some of my own thoughts. I, I often have this conversation and it's a really tricky conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation because oftentimes it kind of gets shrouded in this idea of like, well, I just really like yoga. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to open up my own studio and there's nothing really wrong with that inherently. Um, but there's a lot of underlying factors and there's a lot of behaviors that um, can make that appropriation versus appreciation, which is also very much connected to our capitalist society, which really values commodification over all else. So we're really saying that um, I think appreciation is also deeply rooted in a non-commodification mm -hmm. of other practices and other beliefs that are not one's own. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, appreciation comes with not, it t comes with taking time. Like an, a theme throughout, I feel like our episodes is this idea of combating this commo like fast commodified like narrative yeah. and really taking time to understand the history and understand the, the depth behind, you know, if you want to do yoga, learn more about the history of yoga, learn yeah. more about, you know, 
the decommodified version of of yoga that way you're able to appreciate what you what you enact on and what you study and what you do and i think it's it's important for us to like clearly state that like what is appropriation and cultural appropriation co-ops aspects of culture and cultural behaviors practices and beliefs that are not one's own. And like Charmaine said, it's in a way of, it's not an appreciative way. It's in a way of like you, um, I think you mentioned this in your piece, Charmaine, where like you can make fun of someone for practicing a belief or a culture that's that's from their own culture, but then you on the other hand do that same thing and you mm-hmm. receive praise from it. Yes. Um, and I think that that is, that is the big, the, the kind of, the big chunk of the conversation that differentiates between appropriation and appreciation. And we're going to go more into talking about what cultural appropriation does. And the first thing that cultural appropriation does is that it reproduces stereotypes based on dominant oppressors interpretations of other usually oppressed colonized cultures, practices and beliefs. It contributes to incorrect assumptions around the idea of spreading cultural awareness, and we put that in quotes, spreading cultural awareness are, quote, uh, sharing of, you know, particular aspects of a culture, but it's problematic because it's only based on what dominant and oppressive, most often Eurocentric society deems appropriate. And I think that kind of sums up like this idea of like, firstly, what it does It's like, it really plays into these stereotypes. Mm -hmm. It really plays into these Eurocentric schemas that society has um, that society has placed on people of color and marginalized communities. And I think that anything that reproduces a stereotype and schema, you should think twice about before think doing, you know, and that's what I feel like when you appreciate something, you're not part of that reproduction of that stereotype because yes. you have actually studied the history and you know, you know, the meaning behind what you're doing, you're not doing it. And that's, and that's when you can kind of combat against appropriating different aspects. That's so important, Ricky. I love how you phrase that because I think it also connects to, I think of two really important points. And the first is like, when you appreciate something, you don't necessarily explain that thing back to somebody who's maybe from that culture, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm saying this because it's something very personal often happens to me where people will be like, oh my God, I found this great curry recipe. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, first of all, we don't even call it that. But you know, it's kind of like, and and I understand sometimes, most of the time people come from a place of like admiration or like Mm -hmm. adoration of this, of this something, you know, whether it's like spices or food or whatever. But then when you're like explaining it back to somebody, that's definitely appropriation. But when you're like, you know, appreciating it, you know, or you want to engage in like creating this cultural dish or something, um, you know, most of the time the other person's going to appreciate that. They're going to acknowledge that you want to, um, you know, spread in this cultural awareness or like share, share something from their culture. Um, but in a way that's, that's done with a lot of um, cultural competency and cultural literacy in mind. Because mm-hmm. the second point is that we don't expect everybody to be cultural experts by any means. Like nobody yeah. is going to know what the right thing is or where the origin is of something is for every single concept out there. We're not saying that, we're not expecting you to, but if you are engaging in something, um, I think it also goes back to being a little bit more aware of of things around you outside of just like your own, maybe like your bubble, what you grew up in um, and understanding the history behind things. And that goes into our second point where 
um, often cultural appropriation it trivializes these historical this historical violence and oppressions, especially against communities that have been historically marginalized and disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. um, and then this in turn, this values the feelings and beliefs of the privileged over the oppressed. So kind of going in and like co-opting something or taking, I'm just going to use the word taking here because yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of like spices and I'm thinking of like fabrics. Like I'm thinking specifically of, um, you know, um, English colonizers, like mm -hmm. the, the British, uh, like the colonial British who, took spices and fabrics and um, sewing and, and techniques, textile, textile craft techniques from the South Asian subcontinent and Africa and all these various other places around the world that they colonized and then kind of co-opted them, commodified them and made them very English in mm -hmm. a way. And that was definitely and continues to be an example of cultural appropriation. Yes, yes. And I think that segues into our third point too and this idea of like, the privileged profit from the labor of oppressed people in turn also incorrectly credits the creators of a belief slash practice. Mm -hmm. So this idea of like, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of cultural appropriation and something that really affected me was the, the boxer braid trend that was yeah. created by, um, we're going to talk about this. We're going to have an episode about hair politics and I'll go all into this. Um, but for now, I'll just briefly like, skim over the top. Um, but the boxer braid trend and the fact that, you know, Eurocentric white females started getting, they're not, first of all, they're not called boxer braids, they're cornrows. And once you study the historical re like relevancy of cornrows, you understand why they're called cornrows and why it's important to credit the, the African-American community or even the African culture from the braids because- yes it's it's deeply rooted into like the history of oppression and violence and so for a eurocentric white woman just to come along and wear these and now they're trendy and they're called box braids and everyone mm -hmm. boxer braids sorry box braids are different but boxer braids and it's okay and it's deemed like you said trendy and fashionable mm -hmm. whereas if i go back a couple of years ago you couldn't even go to like private school with cornrows mm -hmm. because it was right. deemed as, you know, ghetto. Yeah. Ghetto, yeah. hood rat, trashy. Like you can even go to work with cornrows because right. it was seen as unprofessional. Like if you looked up professional styles, it was straight Eurocentric, like very Eurocentric beliefs. Cornrows was not on that list. Mm -hmm. But now because it's trendy, now because Kim Kardashian or the Kardashians are doing it, now it's okay. And I yeah. feel like I'm not saying that they can't wear the cornrows. I'm saying you can wear them and appreciate them by acknowledging that this is not something that I started myself. This is like, here's the origin of it. I, you know, this is something from the African black American community. Like this is not something that I set the trend for myself. Right. And here's the historical, um, you know, relevancy behind what, what I'm wearing or, behind this quote-unquote new trend. Yeah, and I think part of that also relates to something that we talked about in our White Privilege episode, which is like the impact of society on these things and how mm -hmm. it's not necessarily always one person who can dismantle racism. And it's, you know, like not even to pinpoint like one person's problematic behavior, but I always think of like, I remember somebody saying, oh, the Boderic braids. And Boderic was like, I didn't really know who that was. And I had to look that up. But I remember like that was before Kim Kardashian. That was yes. like a couple of, I don't yes. even know. It was a few yes. decades I before. I actually watched a documentary. I didn't know who Boderic was until mm -hmm. I watched the documentary. And I saw, it was a documentary on hair and the boxer braids. And I saw it and I was like, 
Oh, and it became this big thing. Yeah. Where, like within and the that's white what it community. was called. Yes, it yeah. was called. I'm like, that's not what those yeah. are. I just exactly. want you guys to know that that's not the correct language that you're using to describe those braids. But whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost like looking at systemically looking at that, and so it's like almost like, because I think oftentimes people are like, well, who's to blame? So then in this case, we're saying that society is to blame. Like yes. the fact that it's society where it's like white, and that's where we say like white privilege and white supremacy, it's so deep rooted, mm -hmm. where that's a great example of white privilege, mm -hmm. like having it being called after the name of a white actress yes. who wore them for a scene in a movie mm -hmm. versus, and that really takes away and co-ops from an entire culture and their oppression and, and, and just everything. It mm -hmm. takes away from that completely and decenters the conversation, continues to marginalize this very oppressed group. And it's, I mean, that's so problematic. And I think it's, it's really important to understand and acknowledge that. Um, but also it's like kind of connects to this idea of how we, how we how we view things and then also like what people can do like that's something that if you are wearing them like what ricky said to acknowledge that and just say that oh no these aren't boderic braids they're actually called you know yes. like and kind of go into the history of them and mm -hmm. have those conversations and so it's like it's also looking at like how people especially from dominant hegemonic societies can use cultural appropriation as a perform a form of performative allyship mm -hmm. so this actually reproduces those deep-rooted prejudices against the people that those um that and against the people in the culture um those very cultures that they are taking those practices from so they're like co-opting their those very cultural beliefs and practices but yet they still hold these deep-rooted um, feelings and oppressions or these deep rooted prejudices, I should say, against those people in those cultures. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that, that you can still wear, I'm just going to, I'm going to run with the example of boxer braids. Like you can still wear boxer braids or you can still wear a sari or you can still wear a bindi and be very prejudiced against black people, against Indian yes. people, against the Hindu culture, yes. against Hindu religion. Yes. So it's really important to acknowledge that just like there, there's many layers to this. And mm -hmm. one big layer is openly being prejudiced against something or like having your child dress up as Pocahontas for Halloween. Mm -hmm. And you can still be very prejudiced against um, native people and indigenous practices. And then you can also, you know, kind of engage in these practices as a form of performative allyship, mm -hmm. but not actually go deep rooted into what a non-performative allyship of appreciation would be. Yes, yes. And I think... Part of that, like we said before, part of combating against that non-performative allyship and combating against that is to take time and learn about, like, don't just go with the quick commodified version of these practices. Like, learn that boxer braids aren't called boxer braids. They're called cornrows. Why are mm -hmm. they called cornrows? Where did they come from? You know, it, it, it can be as easy as a Google search. Like you can yeah. find a lot on Google. It's not something that we're telling you, go look up these 30 You don't have to be a scholar yeah. on every yes. topic. I'm not yeah. telling you, you have to be a scholar on cornrows. And we're not telling you that you have to be a scholar on, you know, all these, on, on like all of these different aspects of our culture that is, borrowed or taken from other cultures. But what we're saying is that you need to, as as a person who wants to be a non-performative ally, you need to go the extra step, the extra mile, and really look deeply more into um, more into where it, what's being borrowed and how to um, go against the commodified narrative, like be more appreciative of it so that you can correctly um, correctly have the appropriate narrative that goes with what you're, with what yeah. you're doing. And yeah. 
also I want to add to that Ricky too. Like there's so many examples that we can go into with like performative allyship, like even from like yoga and Eastern like, utilizing Eastern spirituality, like Chinese medicine, um, you know, skin color, we're, we're going to have a whole co uh, conversation on colorism, mm -hmm. but we even think about skin color where like there's the, you know, perfect tan versus naturally uh, dark yes. mm -hmm. skin. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a whole thing. And then also even criticizing like bleaching culture mm -hmm. within, um, within communities. Well, I, I'm going to say within like previously colonized communities where I often hear this conversation where there's a lot of predominantly white people from Eurocentric cultures, um, that don't understand that bleaching is like deeply rooted in colonialism. And we will cover that, but it's like, just, it's really interesting because it's like, you're sitting here and criticizing people for bleaching their skin when you have to understand that that is deep rooted in oppression. That's that those ideas and those concepts are deep rooted in, um, colonialism yeah. and deep rooted in uh, status and hierarchy. And, um, also on the other hand, oftentimes these people are tanning their skin to look darker, but yet like almost like co-opting skin color, like appropriating mm -hmm. skin color, but, um, taking, you know, not acknowledging the oppression that happens from people that are naturally that skin color. Yeah. And we're not saying you can't tan. No, <laughs> That's not what we're not. saying here. Right. We're saying that to be more of be a consciously, consciously aware individual society and acknowledge that there are people who have had that natural melanated pigment who are oppressed, who have been oppressed before because of it. And we're not saying that you don't have to, you know, acknowledge that bleaching is harmful for the skin, but don't don't be like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Don't give like a blanket statement. I right. feel like is what it's yeah. saying, like, without yeah. acknowledging that, oh, this is why bleaching cream is um is part of the 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 culture or it's part of that community because mm -hmm. of you yes. know the history of colonization and oppression. Yeah. And I think that that like simply being a consciously aware individual in society will help you to be more appreciative. And I feel like we, we're going to have a lot of, like we said, we're going to have a lot of different episodes about that goes more in depth about these different aspects. But I feel like the biggest thing is that appreciation does not co-opt the behaviors and the aspects of cultures that are other rather that are are other rather than your own, especially for the sake of commodification. Like appreciation is the um, antonym of commodification. Like it completely goes against commodification. Like it's not for commodification. And I feel like if you are going against the narrative of commodification, then you can begin to appreciate it. Yeah. And it's not something that can be simple because like we said, we, we serve a commodified, we live in a commodified society, but I definitely think, I feel like it's something that is attainable and it is accessible for people to do. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think so. I think that is really important. Yeah. Like Ricky said, that is, it's, it's not easy and it's a complex, you know, kind of concept to unwrap, but it's also complex to, to exist in that space when we live in a very capitalist and com like commodified, um, Society. preferring society. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, also I would say like looking at context, context is so important when, you know, uh, appreciating 
cultural aspects versus appropriating them, but looking at context and then acknowledging your own privilege is really essential in appreciation. So I give like an example of this in my, in my piece, and I do encourage you to read it. And it's this piece, there was so much more I wanted to add to it that I didn't, but um, you know, one like simple aspect could be like cultural attire. Like I think a lot of people, you know, appreciate trying different culture, like wearing different things. So wearing saris or kimonos, I think like the context is really important. So if you're like a bridesmaid in a wedding or if you're attending a wedding and, you know, they, the bride is, you know, people wearing traditional attire and asking if it's okay. And then also engaging in correctly wearing the attire and not disrespecting it. And then like, you know, just kind of thinking about the history and thinking about like where you are, the context of what you're wearing, that would be really important. That would be a great example of, of appreciating, but then maybe like wearing that same attire for like a Halloween party or like a costume party would be on the same hand appropriating. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's about like looking at context and acknowledging your own privilege, your own place, um, when you are engaging in these practices. Um, and with that being said, I would say like appreciation also dismantles these notions of appropriation that are just, that we just discussed. So like appreciation would be like the antithesis of all the things that we discussed about mm -hmm. appropriation. So appreciation really looks at something and, and like acknowledges all the different cultural aspects, contributions, historical aspects. Like there's a lot of different contexts um, that goes into it. And it's, we're kind of like, we're talking about this in broad terms because it is not as simple as saying it's not black and white. It's not as simple as saying don't wear boxer braids. Mm -hmm. Don't do, don't put henna on your hands. Yeah. Don't wear mendy. Like that's not what we're saying because mm -hmm. it's not that simple. Um, there is so much more involved there. You can, well, oftentimes like there can be certain um, things that people can do that are appropriation from the same, from on one hand. And mm -hmm. then if another person does them differently, their appreciation. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much as the um, act itself. I think there's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is not something that like, we don't want this episode to be, we're telling everyone what they can't do or that yes, you can't, exactly. that you can't participate in these different cultures and these different beliefs and these just different acts. Like we said, it, it just, like we say before, it's just taking the extra time to um, really research. And it's not research, like spending hours writing a paper. It's simply as if you want to, you know, open a yoga studio, learn more about, about yoga so that you're not going into like the commodified, like we said, the commodified version of yoga. And if you want to, I feel like the thing is like, once you start learning about the history and the different narratives mm -hmm. behind these different aspects, like, I don't know, maybe this is just the cheesy academic for me. I want to learn more. Like Same. I start yeah. wanting to learn more. It makes me appreciate like, um, the, the, the culture and it makes me appreciate like what I'm studying or what I'm engaging with even more. And I think that, um, when you can have that level of appreciation or have that level of engagement that comes from understanding and not something that comes from, um, just jumping on board with the latest trend, I think that that in itself can, fight against the white supremacist or, you know, the white, the dominant Eurocentric narrative and stereotypes are against yeah. this culture because you gain more understanding about the culture and more mm -hmm. understanding about the beliefs and you get to know the holistic viewpoint of history. I love that you said jump on the boat because that's so true. I think so many times that's what happens. And yeah. that's when 
it becomes cultural appropriation because people are kind of fulfilling a trend. And I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial. I want to say like, it's okay to have a conversation sometimes. Like a lot of these things are conversations. And so, you know, if maybe you're really interested in like learning a kimchi recipe, you can talk to your friend, um, you know, whose grandma makes great kimchi about it. But at the same time, I do want to acknowledge that it's this also, I say it's controversial because this also goes back to don't expect people of color to perform that emotional labor labor for you. Yes. They are not responsible for teaching you about just because like you want to learn belly dancing doesn't mean that your Arab Middle Eastern friend is going to teach you belly dancing. Don't put that's that not, on the shoulders of them. Yes, that's not them. their burden. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But if it's the context and, you know, in like, again, it goes back to context, you know, I think it's okay to have those conversations with certain people. But like, again, maybe not your coworker that you're not that close to. Mm-hmm. So it's about like thinking more about, it's about thinking more about it. And then I also relate this to um, a lot of travel. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that, you know, I mean, global travel, obviously we want people to visit different countries and and engage in different cultures. But I think it's really important too, that when you are traveling to really be respectful and mindful of that culture and, and learn about those, learn how to be respectful and mindful of those cultural behaviors and attitudes outside of Eurocentric context. Yes. So don't just like pick up a tour guide book that was written by a white person who went and visited this country three times. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's great helpful advice in there, but really try to learn about it from the aspect of those people so that you're not just engaging in like this kind of like colonialist, reproducing these colonialist and imperialist attitudes. Yes. Yes. I think that that's a great, like that's a great, um, that's great advice because, you know, so many times I feel like we do, we do travel to different places without really like gaining a full context of the culture and of the history. And we're not say, like, I'm going to continue to say this. We're not saying you have to write a three page essay, but just yeah. looking more closely and depthly with, with what you are, with what you are engaging with to a mm-hmm. point to where it goes past the, it's, it's almost, I like to compare it to um, like not just accepting a stereotype. Yeah, like you wouldn't accept like challenge the stereotype. it. Yeah, 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 challenge the stereotype, challenge the commodified version of the culture or of the belief or of the practice that you are doing it, and challenge it in a way to where it you can become a non-performative ally and you can become a non-performative participant in those beliefs and in those practices and in those cultures and. I'm actually usually interested in, you know, different ways that you, our community, would, um, you know, become non-performative participants in different beliefs and cultures. So if you have ideas or if you have suggestions, um, feel free to leave a comment on our website. That's graymattersblog.com. Um, if you want to email it to us, you can email it to us at graymattersblog at gmail.com. And stay tuned. We're going to have many more episodes where this conversation extends and we continue to talk about this narrative. Um, and if you want, you can follow us on Instagram, Gray Matters, the blog on Instagram, and you can comment on our posts. We're always sharing different posts that we find that kind of explain what cultural appropriation is, explain what appreciation is. Um, so you can find resources on there, resources on our website. Um, but stay tuned for our next episode that we're going to have. Like we said, our next episode is about colorism, where we are going to continue this conversation. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.